That's my girl. Constance Hall, one of the most talked about bloggers in the country. A look out! Opinionated, raw, thought-provoking, and never shy to have an opinion. Annalise is her best friend. The yin to her yang. The gale to her Oprah. She's the chic one. Just ask her. A show for queens, by queens. No topic is too taboo. A shame-free, judge-free space. Oversharing, commiserating, and celebrating. This is the Queen Sesh with Constance Hall and Annalise. Come on, girls! You're listening to The Queen Sesh with Constance Hall and Annalise. And Con, probably the biggest theme of this week in Australia has been racism. Yep. If I had to just name one thing and it draw it been. out of a hat. Yeah. Um, but in Queensland, nine-year-old Harper Nielsen was threatened with suspension and given detention because she refused to stand for the national anthem. How interesting was that? Now, I spoke to my son about that, my um, stepson, I should say, and he was telling me that his school made them watch the episode of Red Fern Now where the Indigenous kid refused to stand up. And so his school actually wants to encourage more of a free-thinking look at things from every every angle. I was really impressed with our school for that. Absolutely. I mean, I guess the reason that she didn't want to is because she doesn't think it is fair to say advance Australia fair when it's talking about the advance of white Australia and it's not fair to our Indigenous people. So yes, that's, that's that's her thing. And nine-year-old, yes, queen. Yeah, I know, right? The future looks bright. Babe. I know. Uh, but, you know, we, of course, a lot of people have argued against her decision, um, backing the school, saying that, you know, that's their rules and she should toe the line. Politicians, um, of course, well, Pauline, Pauline Hanson. No, and quite a few politicians <laughs> jumped on saying she's got to grow up. Pauline Hanson called her a brat, which I thought was um, a bit low she's just, brow. Pauline's just looking for headlines. But we wanted to find out from the Queens on 131060, what do you think about the decision, the school's decision really, around rules? Rebecca from New South Wales, what are your thoughts? Oh, hi. Um, yeah, well, I reckon go her. I think it's great, um, you know, that she's sticking up for what she believes in and I think that's what we should teach our kids for sure, to, you know, stick up and for what they believe And how brave, how brave. That's right, yeah, she's totally brave. Beautiful. Thanks, Rebecca. Shana, also from New South Wales, what are your thoughts about the nine-year-old girl giving being given detention for not standing for the national anthem? Look, I'm all for women and females standing up for what they believe in, and it's great that she has such a strong opinion. But at the end of the day, there are rules for a reason, and I feel if she felt so strongly about it that her and her parents could have spoken beforehand and this whole thing could have been avoided. So you're saying it should have been something that was maybe talked and agreed about as opposed to a silent protest? Yeah, I mean, then it wouldn't be such an issue. I don't think it would be such an issue now and it wouldn't be posted on social media for all the cruel people to put their negative opinions out there. I just... It does bring the topic to light, though, which I thought was, a you know, was one positive. Obviously, it's horrible seeing a nine-year-old slammed in the in the media, but I think she's getting a lot of support as well. Social media is cruel. People don't care what they say or how they say it. I think it just could have been avoided and, you know, they could have spoken about it together as the school and the parents and maybe, you know, everyone wouldn't be having such a strong opinion about it. Mm, look, right. I, I respect your respect for rules. I just don't know if punishing her is the answer. That would be my... That's my issue with it, I think. Hopefully the it hasn't taught the other kids in the school to never stand up for something. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Maybe next week all the kids in the whole school will be sitting down. <laughs> like, we want our five minutes. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, ladies, for your thoughts. What do you think? This has been the biggest thing dividing the nation this week. Continue the conversation on our Facebook page. Search The Queen Sesh. This is The Queen Sesh. Batchy juice. We were misled by The Bachelor by Channel 10 all week with this, like, suspense supposed bombshell drop from Brooke, mm. who's one of our faves, and she's a front runner, and I predicted that she might win. And I thought she was going to say, I have like eight kids, and I don't know who the dads are. <laughs> and I was excited. I was like, yes, girl. It's going to be really risque. But um, yeah. in actual fact, this is what she had to say. I've had four relationships from 17. Um, I was with a guy for three years. This is really uncomfortable for me to tell you, but like, but I've also had two relationships with women. Wow. When you hear it with just the music and not seeing the visuals, <laughs> it literally sounds like she's about to say she's like literally walking off a plank into a, a shark infested waters and on death's door. And did you notice that the batchy got really turned on? <laughs> I actually feel like he looked a little bit uncomfortable. He had no. the, the little nose flare. No. Which is always the, ah, I'm cool with this, but I'm really not. No, he's totally cool with that. He's like, he was all of a sudden thinking, hmm, who are the, what do they look like, babe? <laughs> no, I think he was threatened because then, did you notice he said to her, so, you know, who do you prefer? As if, like, she had to make a choice. Yeah, but she should make a choice that while she's dating him, you've got to say you prefer a little bit of the badge. But uh, what I found was interesting, she she said she didn't identify as bisexual. She said she was attracted to a person. Yeah, but you're, a, you're definitely bisexual if you're attracted to either gender. Well, are you or aren't you? See, we're very out of touch. We know we're old, we're married, mm. we're, we're sagging. We're, and... we're, we're from a labelled generation. Yes. <laughs> so we, we want to know, like, what is, what is now, what is acceptable in two, 2018 in the world of dating and gender fluidity? And, of course, we have roped in our favourite expert. We'll be chatting to our next sex and relationship expert, Dr. Nikki Goldstein. That's next on The Queen Sesh. This is The Queen Sesh. We were chatting about the bombshell that rocked the nation this week, which we agree is not a bombshell, but that one of the Bachelor contestants actually revealed to the Bachelor that she had previously dated women. And she didn't actually identify as bisexual, just looking at the person. So we've roped in our very good friend of the Queen Sesh, sex and relationship expert, Dr. Nikki Goldstein, our favey. Welcome back to the sesh. Thanks, Queens. Okay, so Con and I, we feel a bit we're, out we're, of touch, don't we, babe? We're confused. Okay, the word that we're missing out on this mix is mm. pansexual. Pan. Okay, oh, so when mm. you say that you're bisexual, which is kind of where she, Brooke didn't say it, but everyone else has kind of been saying it. So bisexual is saying, I'm attracted to women and I'm attracted to men. Okay, so when she was saying I'm attracted to the person, that's pansexuality. It's saying, I'm not focusing on what's from the waist region down. I'm actually focusing on the person and mm. falling in love with the person. What's inside. Yeah, who the person is. It's like, what's, how do they treat you? What's their personality like? And that's actually how we should be dating full stop. It's focusing on that person first. And when you have a look at all these gender issues at the moment and we're challenging what it means to be a woman and a guy and, you know, we're bringing children up with gender-neutral toys... 
should we just be focusing on you know, agenda specific when it comes to dating? So is being pansexual quite common now? I feel like it is common in a more younger generation. I'm speaking to a lot of women who are saying to me, oh, so I've been dating this girl and I'm not gay or anything, but we just hit it off and I fell in love. And I feel like that's where we're progressing to when it comes to dating is that we are busting these social norms of what we should be doing and we're going with the flow a little bit more, which is when we actually see things like passion and intimacy and connection really develop because that's what we're leading with. I'm not going to put a limit on who I'm going to be potentially dating. It's more about who do I have a connection with? Who am I attracted to? And let's explore that and see what happens next. Constance, yeah. if your husband, Denzi, said to you, I've dated men before, would yeah. you find that odd, a turn-off, perplexing? How would you no, react? absolutely not. I'd be totally cool with my partner having dated men. Absolutely cool. My only concern would be that, like, do you still want a little bit of knobbing every now and then? <laughs> mm. You know, like, because in my experience, a lot of women, we experiment young with other women and it's pretty common, but a lot of men, like, they actually sort of need to have more of an attraction to other men to be sort of fluid about it. But that could be my generation. Maybe young blokes are more into, you know, trying and having a dabble and not being labelled. So, yeah, I guess that if Denzi had said to me, oh, by the way, I have slept with heaps of men, not a turn off at all. Like I'd, I'd love to have a bloke that was that open minded. Denim certainly isn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doctor Nikki, it gives boys weekend a new <laughs> meaning. <laughs> Doctor Nikki, thank you so much for sharing your um, fluid wisdom with us. As usual, uh, you can hear Doctor Nikki's podcast one series, Sex and Life, on the Podcast One website app or iTunes. Uh, stick around because we're going to be finding out: Are you ruining your kids' lives? Are you a lawnmower parent? Find out next on The Queen Sesh. This is The Queen Sesh. Constance, have you heard about the new helicopter parent? It's taken over. It's worse, apparently. (laughs) It is the lawnmower parent. (laughs) What is the lawnmower parent? Okay, so if you imagine a helicopter parent is hovering over their child, never letting them out of their sight, the lawnmower (laughs) is mowing out destruction, any potential struggles, ah. any potential failure. They're mowing and clearing the path for their child so they never have to struggle or fail or actually do anything for themselves. This, you know what this is? This is the opposite of my mum. My mum was putting things in my way. To my <laughs> She's the, anti, the anti-lawnmower parent. Well, you signed up for this. <laughs> so uh, some of the examples of things like doing their homework for them, um, bringing forgotten items to school for them, tidying their room, clearing their plate. So it's really sort of basic things, but also things like stepping in to conflict. So if you're at a park and your kid's in a beef with another kid, swooping in and getting involved. and So, so, so they basically basically never have to deal with any conflict or failure or consequence. Yes. yes. And there is like a maternal urge to, you know, swoop in sometimes as a mum, but you've Isn't got there? to resist that, I think. Do lawn you think do you think that I'm a lawnmower mum? Hmm, no, I don't not at all actually. Mm. 
Nah, I, I, probably people who meet you on the outside might think, because you do come across quite polished, oh, so people might no. think that you're going to be a lawnmower mum, but then when they get to know you, they'll realise that I'm nah, really lazy. Yeah, you're yeah. much more of a garden hose mum. <laughs> <laughs> well, coming up later, Con, we want to chat to a specialist for Queen Vice, and I'm, I'll be taking some notes, uh, but it's about how to raise resilient kids because that is what lawnmower parents are not creating resilient so we're going to learn from a a specialist about how we can make our kids resilient that's later on on the queen sesh this is the queen sesh we are finishing this week on queen vice advice for queens and our best life is when the advice does not come from us isn't it (laughs) (laughs) that helps yeah so we have the founder of Resilience in Kids with us, Susie Mogg, to chat us through how we build resilience in our kids. Welcome to the sesh, Susie. Thank you. Very happy to be here. So happy bef- to have you, Susie. So, Susie, before early in the, in the show, we talked about lawnmower parenting and practical things like letting kids do things for themselves and have natural consequences. What are some more of the more emotional ways that we can foster resilience in kids? That's a great question. Uh, There's a huge amount, as I'm sure you and your listeners are aware, to building resilience in kids. I guess a couple of the more emotional things would be uh, teaching them empathy. Children are primed from birth to show empathy, but it can be a really difficult skill to develop if it's not modelled by parents and actively taught to kids. And the second thing would be around emotion coaching. And we talk a lot to parents around becoming their children's emotion coach. And we actually use a model developed by John Gottman in the US around, it's got five steps. It's the five-step emotion coaching model. It's interesting. What are the five steps? Oh, sorry, you can't, you can't just tell us that and leave us hanging. I can't just leave it, leave it hanging there. I'll do have to so, buy a book. Um, <laughs> so the first step is to be aware of your child's emotion. And the second step is to recognise your child's expression of emotion as a perfect moment for intimacy and teaching. And this is a really tricky one because when your child is telling you they hate their sibling or they wish their sibling had never been born, mm. it's pretty difficult for parents to see that as a perfect moment for intimacy and teaching, Um, but that's what we need to do. We then need to listen with empathy and validate our children's feelings. And again, this is a tricky one. Often parents say to me, well, if I empathise with my child, does that not mean that I'm agreeing with them? Half the time I don't agree with them. Well, it doesn't mean that at all. And we do exercises with kids where we literally get them to take their shoes off and swap them with another child and walk around the room so they can really understand what it feels like to share the feelings of another person and put themselves in someone else's shoes. It means listening and playing back what you've heard. So you can literally just repeat it. When your child says something, just play it back and show that you've really heard them. The fourth step is to help children learn to label their emotions with words. And we'll often say to parents, why don't you just get a list of emotions from the internet and stick it on your fridge? So it's not just about, I feel sad, I feel happy. We're giving them all of those other, much more nuanced words to really extend their emotional vocabulary. And then it's also about setting limits. So it's about saying all emotions and feelings are okay, but any kind of negative behaviours associated with those, like hitting or punching or screaming. Mm, Verbal abuse in my three-year-old's case. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I don't think you're unique in experiencing that. (laughs) No. Do you know what I love about this? Because if I'm, say, having a fight with my husband, if he actually does those emotional coaching steps to me and actually... I feel heard and understood, doesn't that make you feel better? 
and yet well, we, we don't do it yeah. for our kids as much because they seem unreasonable. Well, absolutely. And we don't, oftentimes, it's unique, I think, that you guys do do that in your relationship because I remember when I was in the corporate world, we would teach this to leaders. Let's just show some empathy. As human beings, we all have uh, a deep-seated desire to feel hurt. I completely agree with everything that you're saying and I find that I actually get teased by other parents and friends and family because I'm constantly empathising with my kids' tantrums and I am not a strict parent. I think everybody <laughs> knows that. But my kids will be like, I hate everything and throwing things and I'll be like, I totally get it. You know, I have moments where I hate everything too. And then other parents are always saying to me, oh, you've got to be harder on them. And, 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 and. and so I feel like I'm constantly getting like dragged down for trying to like be empathetic with my kids. Well, Con, now you can tell them that you're actually being an emotional coach and you're <laughs> If I could evolved. grab your phone number off our producer, because <laughs> you're Look, validating it's really, me. <laughs> it's a really good point. And a lot of what we talk about in terms of becoming your child's emotion coach or teaching or be, being a resilience coach, which is what we talk to parents about, it's countercultural. You think about Australian culture and how often we hear toughen up princess or man up or she'll be right. It's not culturally acceptable to talk about our feelings. You know, we tell little boys not to cry. Well, they're human beings and to cry is a very natural human emotion. So what you're experiencing in the playground there with, with, with other parents, I think, is, is a real problem for us. Do you think that um, on the other side of the spectrum they can go too far? Because you do meet those children who are constantly whinging to their parents, Mummy, this hurts. Mummy, I don't want to do this. Mummy, I don't know. And sometimes you do feel like the kid does need to be a little bit more resilient and the parents are sort of like falling into that and, and encouraging more too much maybe or am I just being a bit mean? No, I don't think so. I mean, this is part of a whole uh, much broader discussion around parenting and it's been important to set boundaries and to explain what is and what isn't acceptable behaviour. And, um, you know, ongoing whining, you may decide that's not acceptable behaviour. And when kids reach a certain age, maybe they'll act out to try and get you to buy them the latest Nintendo game or whatever it is. And you've got to kind of weave a fine line um, between those and use your judgment to work out what is actually going on here. Mm. But too often, um, kids are trying to tell us things in their own way and we're not paying attention to that. And I think if we do start paying attention to that and do teach kids that it's okay to feel all these emotions... When they're 17 and they're asked to get into a car and go joyriding with their best mate who's had goodness knows how many uh, beers, they can listen to their feelings and their emotions and they can go, hang on a minute, I know that this isn't right, I'm just going to pass, thanks. But if we don't teach them that, maybe they'll get into the car. Yeah, who knows? Yep. So, um, so you, oh, hang on, sorry, I had something in my brain that I was going to ask, but then I started listening too much. And <laughs> oh, um, so, so when it comes to like other children in the playground, I really do want my children to be able to connect emotionally, but also, you know, there are some awful things that happen, happen in the playground and kids do horrible things. I do want my kids to be able to just brush it off and not take it so much on board. What would your yeah. advice be to keep our kids, you know, like focused on what other kids say about you isn't necessarily true? Yeah, absolutely. I think just teaching them that very simple fact that what kids say about you is not necessarily true or not at all true is, is so important. And teaching kids to um, have, for example, a quick comeback that they can confidently give to other children in the playground. So something like not cool or I thought jokes were meant to be funny that they confidently deliver and then walk away and mm. literally just brush it off. Or bye, Felicia. I that's always a really <laughs> important. But, you know, I also use this tool of empathy in the playground because so often kids who are 
bullying other kids or being mean to other kids. They've got stuff going on for themselves. You just imagine what it must be like for those kids to, to sort of feel that they need to be mean to other children and that's the only way that they can feel good about themselves. That is exactly what I try and tell my kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm always saying to my kids, if she's continuously saying these mean adult words to you, these adult words must be coming from somewhere else and we, I think we need to just feel a little bit sad for her. Absolutely. All right. It's so a the, great way of teaching that. So we've pretty much, we've pretty much, um, you know, realised that I'm a great parent in this segment. Yes, definitely. Annalise? Yes, you are a walking <laughs> emotional coach and have built-in empathy. Oh, thank you so much for coming on our show. So you'll be invited so back welcome. by Constance Hall, that's for sure, in the future. Thank you so much. You can find out more about building resilience in kids from Susie at resilienceinkids.com.au. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much, Susie. Susie. Great chatting. Thank you. This is the Queen Sesh.